Hey, Janet. Hey, Kent. Why do we tell actors to break a leg? Why? Because every play has to have a cast. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome uh, to Manny vs. Mommy. Awesome. I almost said Manny vs. Manny for a second. <laughs> <laughs> One of those days you're arguing with yourself already. Yep. <laughs> nice. That's, the voices won't quiet in my head. That's uh, Kent's voices. Kent, text them. And Janet Barton will also be providing some voices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That everyone can hear, not just me. <laughs> uh, what are you brought to us by this week? Uh, this week, actually, I'm brought to you by the Vagina Monologues. I got to perform in that um, with two of my daughters over the weekend, and it was amazing. Great experience. It was, um, I don't know, it was a really good turnout, and uh, I'm still kind of riding that high. Good. Yeah. So everything went well? There was no, like, breaking down or no. lights falling on people's heads or nothing? Unfortunately, no. No. Smooth as butter. Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately, nobody got hurt. Okay, so today I am brought to you by, and we kind of, I'm just stealing your old brought to you by, Okay. the Resonance Meditation app. So it's I had a game changer. A, it really is. I had a really stressful phone call on Friday that was supposed to happen multiple times beforehand, so it was just a constant, like loop of, are we going to have this call? What's going to happen? And I did the meditation right beforehand, and I used Roman chamomile, and it was great. I felt all calm and relaxed. After I did the meditation, I stood up in the Superman pose and hung out until it was time for the call and went and did it, and it was fun. Nice. It's, it's interesting what you can do to bring yourself to a certain state of mind going into something like that. Yeah. So that's awesome. It's great. Internal peace. Who knew? <laughs> it's a thing. It's really a thing. Uh, along the lines of internal peace, I guess. Um, I think, I don't know, it doesn't really tie in, but <laughs> you had found an article um, from Higher Perspective. The uh, website is higherperspectives.com, and this is brand new from February tw- 15th of this year. I don't see an author's name. Yeah, I didn't see one either. And this is actually something that our mutual friend Lacey had shared on her Facebook that really grabbed my attention. Yeah, so um, it's under, looks like maybe, I don't know, relationship section. But the tagline in kind of the initial introduction to it is, if I did something wrong, communicate. If I hurt your feelings, make me aware of it. If I didn't listen well enough, tell me again in a way I'll understand. If I'm insensitive to your needs, to your desires, or to your thoughts, tell me so I can consider them. So that's kind of the little thing that pops up when you share the link. And the part that doesn't show up but does show up on Facebook is it says, I am not a mind reader. Mm, I I like that. Yeah, that kind of, you know, buttons it up. Like, yeah, people don't know where our boundaries are if we don't tell them. It's not your job to know where my boundary is. It's my job to tell you when you've crossed it. Mm -hmm. Right? And then after that, if you're not respecting it, then that's on you. But initially, it's so important to set those boundaries. Um, But this specifically talks about um, four communication mistakes that can ruin relationships. And I think any kind of relationship, really, but especially in a couple um, situation, because communicating effectively um, really, I think, is one of the best ways you can strengthen a bond. And like I said, whether that's romantic or otherwise. Yeah. And and this is specifically written by... Uh, Dr. John Gottam, who's a, med- a marriage researcher. Yeah. 
And so he's, you know, saying specific to couples. But as I read through these points and as I read through the article, I just realized, like, this is for everyone. Yeah, this I isn't agree. a couple specific, or, you know, a couple specifics he gives. But just focuses, yeah. But it's going to be for everyone. Yeah, and he's been a marriage researcher for a very, very long time. He's written a lot of books, Dr. John Gottman. And a lot of times, because of his experience, he can tell really whether or not a relationship's going to last. Is that his superpower? <laughs> it must be. <laughs> it must be. But it's just based on so much data from so many different couples and, mm-hmm. you know, just seeing patterns over and over again. And so that's why his stuff is so good to refer to because he tells you the ways to avoid those pitfalls, right? So um, let's just kind of jump in because communication is one of the things he pays the most attention to. Um, you know, that's a lot of where he puts the focus. So the four most dangerous types of communication that he kind of warns everyone that will destroy a relationship. Number one is criticism. Have you read through all of these? I have, yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, he points out there's a big difference between giving your partner, you know, or whoever you're talking to feedback, you know, versus attacking them personally. Yeah. And a lot of it, you know, body language, tone of voice, and just keeping a level head yeah things can get pretty heated when I'm telling you this is what you're doing wrong yeah from my viewpoint or this is how it's affecting me which I you know is such a good perspective and a good way to approach it I think but when you're criticizing somebody you're just identifying you know faults of theirs to make them feel bad about themselves that's different than I'm going to point out this blind spot and let's figure out a way to work on it together you know and the loving feedback of yeah wow I feel like this is intervention time. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> the feeling just sunk in. No, he just he warns to not you know judge someone or belittle them, make them feel inferior to you. But of course, the opposite of that would be giving compliments and focusing on their strengths. And then when you do speak of their weaknesses, framing them in a positive way. You know, I I think it's um, important to do the love sandwich kind of thing. You know, where it's like. Here's all the great things about you. Here's what I think can be addressed. But I love you and, you know. Yeah. So I... We can figure it out together. I read this article pretty early on. And I applied one of these, this tactic, when we were talking to one of your kids. We'd gotten caught in school. <laughs> and I wanted to really point out, like, you've been doing really well in these aspects. Here's where the issue is. But other than that, you've been doing really, really well. I've yeah. noticed this. We've noticed this. This has happened, and so we focused a lot on her positive things, and then talked about the negative that she had already kind of beaten herself up over. Right. Yeah, and I, you know, I like I touched on earlier. I think sharing how their actions are affecting you, and giving suggestions and feedback, you know, on how to improve the situation. I don't know. It's just it's it's tough. It takes a lot of practice. That's what I'm finding with communication is it takes a lot of practice and everybody's different. So when you're communicating with someone, they don't always hear the same thing. Yeah. And it's really important to make sure you're in the right frame of mind to start communicating. Because if you're really, you know, having a bad day or just stressed out, your focus is elsewhere. It's so much easier just to criticize and I just need to get this done or this is what's bothering me. Yeah. Instead of approaching it in a great frame of mind of let's work together. I think that's a good point. You know, there's a lot around communication that depends on the environment. You know, I I think it's easy for people to get into a rut of 
fighting in the same room. <laughs> so then there's a negative association, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, there was an argument one time when I was in the bath, and I think that had happened a couple of times. And so I was like, okay, come in here and let's just have some positive communication, you know, because we've been working on taking five minutes each at the end of the day and just talking through how our day went and feelings and whatever we want to talk about, really. So I was like, let's do that in here so I can have some positive association with (laughs) having a conversation while I'm in the bath. Uh, um, The second one that they talk about is contempt, um, which, you know, I I always think of contempt of court. (laughs) That's contempt to me. Um, So, you know, kind of wrapping my head around what is contemptuous behavior was, I don't know, do you you (laughs) have have like a correlation of contemptuous behavior? Because I know what it says here, but... What was that word, contemptuous? Yeah, it's just the so I think adjective it, for contempt. Yeah, I think, like, temptuous, just a ship sailing in really rough waters and just really mm-hmm. a rocky start. Holding someone in contempt. Yeah, I don't know. But it's it says here, if you're name-calling, insulting, mocking, or ridiculing, you're verbally abusing them. And that shows contempt. I was waiting for you to look it up. Here we go. (laughs) Webster's Dictionary defines contempt as the feeling that a person or thing is beneath consideration, worthless or deserving scorn. Huh. That's pretty intense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Disregard for something that should should have been taken into account. Or the offense of being disobedient to or disrespectful to the court of law. Yeah, see, that's the only definition I knew. <laughs> I mean, I understood generally the others, but that makes sense. It's thinking you're better than and that they're just so inconsequential. Well, and it's a feeling. Yeah. Feeling like that person or thing is beneath consideration, worthless or deserving scorn. Hmm. So I think there's a lot that goes when you add the feeling part to it, that makes it so much deeper than just... Yeah, they're feeling the contempt. Yeah, and that, like, well, that ties right in with these, that name-calling, insulting mocking or ridiculing and that is verbal abuse you know and showing them contempt and it says it says stop it now (laughs) and that's the very next sentence stop it now because being mean or rude especially in a partnership you know whether you're married or not but you know especially in a romantic situation talking like that and treating your partner like that because that doesn't just happen in private Right, a yeah. lot of times that happens in public, you know, and that shaming is part of it. And yeah, even if they don't deserve it, that's the bottom line. They don't deserve it, neither do you. You wouldn't want to be treated like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you are just joking, right, there's always a little bit of truth to every joke. Kent. I don't think that's Kent. true. I still say that's false. <laughs> there doesn't have to be any truth. As long as it's funny, it's a joke. <laughs> It is a joke, but it doesn't come from a place of contempt, yeah. right? If, if it does come from a place of contempt, it's all about that intention, yeah. right? But you always want to treat people, and especially your partner, with respect. Just be kind. So the part that I have with this is, or the hard part I have with this, I should say, is it's really hard if you're not in the right frame of mind to have a conversation to try and understand how the person opposite of you is receiving your message. Yeah. So that's why, you know, having serious discussions when people are upset or angry just doesn't really work, isn't really effective. They're flooded with emotion, right? And Mm -hmm. it's like trying to be logical with a drunk. I mean, it's not going to happen. You have to wait for them to sober up. 
And it's the exact same thing, getting someone to sober up from this intense emotion, right? Like, that intensity has to go away. So now I'm imagining having a conversation with somebody who's really upset and being like, okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to sit down. You know, like how you would handle a drunk person. Get on your soothing voice. And... <laughs> Just come over here. Sit down. Make sure you're breathing. Um, so the next one that they go over uh, is defensiveness, which I think has a lot to do with kind of what you're talking about, the message that will be received. Um, because you, you don't know. And that's why I think the back and forth practice of communication is so imperative because I can communicate and and say my message but if you've received it differently than I intended it that's where the miscommunication starts and it's really easy right yeah it's really easy to you know kind of fall off that cliff of of complete disconnect because this defensiveness can come up so right? how do you talk about and not be defensive like, what's the game plan there? <laughs> you know, I, it comes back to the adult chair for me. All I think of uh, opposite of defenses is offensive. So how do I come into this being offensive? <laughs> being offensive or offensive. Offensive. Both, yeah. <laughs> By <Yeah>. being offensive. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. The adult chair. No, no, yeah. I was just saying, at Michelle Chalfant, we love her. Um, for me, when I'm working on just listening and not getting defensive, I have to do that for my adult chair. You know, I have to sit in that space of it is just this person's turn to talk and share and it's actually not about me. Because 99.9% .9 of the time it's not about me anyway. Right? It doesn't, I mean, I know you think everything's about you, but it's not, princess. <laughs> Only the positive things are about me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's most of the time it's because of what they're dealing with and what they're processing through, even if they're directing it at me. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's almost our one-year anniversary since Las Vegas. Yes. And it started out, our trip started out a little rough. <laughs> and you did that adult chair. I mean, we hadn't even made out the county before. I was like, listen, we got to talk. This is what's going to happen. Because I was really upset. And you just sat there and listened and asked clarifying questions. And we were able to resolve things by the next county. Yeah. We didn't take it with us all the way through the trip. We didn't let it ruin the time it was worked and resolved. And and I was so glad that you brought it up because the trip was so much more enjoyable. Just getting it out in the open and communicating about it. And yeah, I really tried not to get defensive because I was in the wrong, ultimately. And you know, we're trapped in the car together <laughs> right? for the next five hours. So, And I just, I really tried not to get defensive about it, but to look at my behavior and what I needed to change. And, you know, you making me aware of how upset you were about it. And just validating the feelings. Well, and we were able to work out, okay, what's the deeper emotion? Like, why did this trigger that? Oh, because there's this other unresolved issue yeah. that I need to work on. But yeah. it wasn't like, you're wrong because of this. It was, oh, this is an issue that's come this up. This is the issue. Yeah, let's figure it out. Which I, I we've been really been working with that on the kids, with the kids recently on that, as far as like, you're not the problem. Mm -hmm. You're genuinely not the issue. The, the problem is the problem. And so let's work together to figure it out versus, you know, the other, each thinking the other person is the problem, right? Like from a kid's perspective, well, you're the problem because you're just parent trying to tell me what to do. And, you know, and it's so hard for me not to be like, are you kidding? Like, it's so hard when I get frustrated not to just approach the conversation and like a negative. These are all the reasons why you're wrong. <laughs> 
Because I make lists and I have lists and I know all the reasons you're wrong. But to go and try and approach it as, is this really working for you? Yeah. Are you getting what you want? Are you happy? Is this the life you want? How do we tweak that and fix that? Because that's ultimately the goal, right? Yeah. I'm raising kids. Relationships might be different, but... Yeah, I think everybody's goals can be a little bit different in how to raise good humans. Some people don't have any goals, <laughs> and it shows. And I, you know, for me, a lot of it is just about raising good humans that are kind and love other people and just be the best them. You know, because at first I had this idea that you get to mold your kids into what you want them to be, and it's just not true. <laughs> you just let let the best them that is going to live develop and grow and support that, you know, with healthy boundaries. And you're a big picture, not a small picture. So yeah, I disagree. <laughs> you can Yeah, I got a thirty five thousand of you. <laughs> you can help direct them in the way that they should go and you should I mean that should be the goal, right? Let's think about this. The goal or the outcome? The goal. The outcome. The habit. Uh, yeah. That's the habit that's gotta stop saying the word goal. Because habit the Atomic Habit by James Clear changed my life, and we can talk about that another time. But yeah. the, de the developing these habits so that they can be healthy and happy and a good way of life should be the goal, right? And how are they going to develop these habits unless you show them what's important, why these habits matter? Yeah, and I think along those lines, the habits of having the coping skills. Because I, I was talking to Jaylen one time, my sister, and she was saying how they were, I don't know, at some kind of gathering party or something, and they went around and said, you know, what they, if they could give their kids one thing, you know, what would it be, what would they want for them kind of thing. Mm -hmm. oh, I just want them to be happy, you know, that kind of stuff, and uh, I just want them to know they're loved, things like that. And then it comes to this guy, and he says, I want them to have the coping skills to get through anything. And I was like, yeah, that. <laughs> That, I mean... See, and all I hear is justification for making their lives hell so that they learn coping skills. <laughs> so I agree, 100%. I agree, I'm on Done. board. I'm writing down the On board. Now. But it makes sense because your kids are never going to always be happy. But what you can do is, you know, give them the skills that they need to choose happiness. And I think, whether it's on purpose or not, that we're programmed as a society to think that life is always going to be happy. I mean, we grow up watching movies, Disney movies, where there's good, and then some big event happens, right? And then they return to a happily ever after. Mm -hmm. And that's just not life. We don't have happiness every single day given to us. It's something we have to work for, something we have to choose. Yeah. And it's not going to just be a 30-minute sitcom problem. It might be quite a while before this problem is resolved or before we understand how to cope with it. Mm. <laughs> Boo. I veto. I veto that idea. Well, I, like I don't know if you can veto why. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, so I we totally got sidetracked, but the third one that they talk about is the defensiveness, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's important when there is a problem not to constantly place blame on the other person. You don't always want to play the victim because that is, I think, what takes you to that really defensive space. Well, that hurts their self-esteem because they're now the bad guy and everything. Right. Yeah, if you're always making them the bad guy, it's, it's really... Not just being defensive, but in a destructive way. Contemptuous, maybe? <laughs> Seems like a separate thing, but I bet they go hand in hand. Well, when you approach them and make them feel like a bad guy, then that would 
make their feelings invalidated, right? Oh, for You're sure. You're wrong. Okay, so all that I felt, everything that I've done is wrong? Like, that just puts them in that state of mind, and that's very manipulative. Oh, for sure. I often, when I was communicating with my kid's dad, uh, he would do this. It was a defensiveness that showed up in self-loathing and playing that victim role by manipulating it into, I know I'm such a horrible person, these are all the bad things about me, and now I'm in a space where I can't communicate my thoughts and feelings because I'm not going to kick him while he's down. Yeah. Right? And so that manipulative... I would, but that's the ultimate time to kick. <laughs> that defensive manipulation definitely played into it. Because, you know, it's just it's all about looking for excuses instead of just owning up to it and taking accountability. And that's, that's hard to do, especially when someone's calling out, you know, a mistake that you made or a character flaw or something like that. But to stay in that space of hearing... And I think it depends on, you know, the approach... But generally, I think that those mistakes are learning opportunities. Like you said, you know, about a year ago, <laughs> um, we had, you know, an opportunity to really communicate with each other in a way that we hadn't done before. But that was an opportunity for me to learn from the choices that I made and how it affected you. You know, because, yeah. and I did admit that mistake, not realizing how much it affected you that way. Yeah. And like you said, we talked through the trigger and like... I'm trying to remember what it was. I don't even remember what the mistake was. You don't remember? No, maybe don't remind me. Okay. We'll just I've gotten it over it. It is in the past. <laughs> I've released it. Good. I and remember the conversation. Well, isn't okay. that generally how it goes? The <laughs> yeah. person who was offended, once you let it go, it's just gone. It's hard to remember. But the person who had the learning experience from it, like in this case me where I felt so horrible about it and had that to work through, I didn't forget it. I probably won't ever. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so I gotta admit, I felt really horrible and shitty on Friday when this was going on with your daughter with the school-related thing. When I found out that she was only scared to tell me. And the word scared was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> something's going on, what? What is our communication styles that there's that fear there? Or what's going on that there's that fear that scares us? So that's why I really try to approach the conversation with her in like an open way and pointing out her positives and hopefully she's not as scared anymore. I mean, I like a little fear. <laughs> a healthy amount of fear. I don't like the unhealthy amount of fear that I feel like there was there. So the last one um, that they go over is stonewalling. My favorite. So stonewalling is when the listener just basically completely shuts off from the conversation. Because saying nothing is oftentimes as harmful, if not more so, than, than saying something, right? Like, than saying something mean or criticizing, it's zero attention. Well, I feel like at this point, you know, if you're initiating a conversation, you really become very vulnerable. Oh, for sure. You're taking a risk. Mm -hmm. And then to be stonewalled is the complete opposite. Now you feel like maybe the bad guy or your feelings don't matter. Or it's your problem, not theirs. It's, yeah, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And uh, I've, I've had a lot of experience with dissociation as a form of stonewalling. So dissociation is where they check out, right, and go to a different place entirely. They're completely disassociating from their body, the current experience, whatever's going on. 
That's the trauma response that you see in someone with dissociative identity disorder, formerly known as split personality mm -hmm. disorder. So it comes from that place of just um, a lot of times from a trauma response having to check out, but it shows up like this. It's, you know, I could always tell when my kid's dad was dissociating. I could see it in his face. I could feel it uh, from an energetic, emotional level. And ignoring doesn't just have to be that dissociation. That can be one aspect of it that I think a lot of people don't think of. But it could just be completely ignoring the other person, um, leaving the room completely, you know, just basically closing off, tuning out, acting busy, turning away, like any of those things are stonewalling. And it's, I think it's important when somebody is upset uh, not to give them the silent treatment. <laughs> That's just, if you can't talk about it right now, say, I need to put a pin in this. I'm not in a good emotional state to have this conversation. Let's decide on a time that would be better for both of us. Yeah. Because stonewalling is just another form of dis disrespect. And it's hard and difficult when it happens repeatedly. Yeah. Because then, why even go through this? Like, yeah, it's a habit. Why be vulnerable? Why be defenseless? Now I'm going to come at this. I know I have to be defensive doing this now. That's how it's going to be approached. Mm -hmm. And I think when, when you're so invalidated emotionally, you do just completely disconnect and there's no opportunity for that bond to be maintained. And that's why this is one of those things that can completely destroy a relationship. You know, but instead it's important as you know, as a partner or whoever you're communicating with to just listen without interrupting. That's, you know, what Carl and I have been working on in our homework um, is that five minutes of each of communication is that you just listen. You don't interrupt, you know, don't do anything, but just listen because mm -hmm. it's really hard <laughs> sometimes to not have your two cents or... Well, that's what you did on our, on our road trip. Because I remember the moment I started to when I stopped talking. Like it was I, can, long, it was I could picture the actual place on the highway where it happened. Yeah. And you just sat there quietly. And then as I was talking, I had to really work through, okay, what do I actually want to communicate? What is the real issue? And I wasn't looking for an answer in that moment. I was wanting to rant and rave and get it all off my chest. But the more I had to talk, because you weren't talking... <laughs> the more I had to come to like, okay, what's my actual point? Yeah. And but I, it, wasn't, I, it wasn't stonewalling, not talking. That, yeah, that's what I was just going to say. It was active listening. Active listening. Yeah, and it, I mean, eye contact really wasn't a thing because you were driving, right? But you could feel that I was there, that I was listening. You know, I was But you were think, processing. Nodding. Yeah, I, like I, I was nodding. I could tell you were in your head working through things and working it out. So it was that active listening type. Yeah, versus not saying a word because I've completely dissociated mm -hmm. or I'm on my phone, <laughs> right? Because, <laughs> you know, ignoring the situation, it's never going to help solve it. It might kick the can down the road, but it's never going to actually resolve anything, you know, just ignoring it. I have really high anxiety when things don't get resolved. <sighs> I know this. <laughs> <laughs> very so, true. Uh, just generally in life, it, it's very difficult for me. So when I go to approach someone to talk to them, it's because I feel so uncomfortable. It's not resolved. I don't like what it's doing to our relationship. I don't like what's happening. And that whole process as well, like five minutes, probably maybe 10. 
<laughs> okay, this needs to be resolved now. Yeah. <laughs> We're not talking weeks. <laughs> We're talking hours at most. But yeah, it kind of points out, you know, it doesn't matter how angry or upset you might be. It's always important to communicate with love and just come from that place of remembering why you're in the relationship with that person because it's a really healthy, productive way. Um, you know, communication is so much better than trying to use your words or actions to manipulate somebody else, which I think a lot of people do on a subconscious level. You know, they don't realize that it's being manipulative, but well, if you're coming from a place of love, I'm going to approach it to manipulate to, Yeah, to get a certain outcome. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's different. And, and how could you be actively listening, really, if all you have is your end goal in mind, and it's like a means to an end kind of thing. Yeah. Well, isn't it Stephen R. Covey that said something to the effect of, I don't have his exact quote, about when you actively listen, you're not trying to come up with a response. You're not trying to form a response. Yeah. Or an argument or anything. You are in the moment paying attention to what they're saying. Which I think takes a lot of practice because most people are just sitting there thinking of what they're going to say next or how they're going to respond. Happens. I'm listening. I'm not thinking about what to say next. <laughs> but one thing that I really think and took away from this article that I loved was really it's all about the respect. Respecting the other person, letting them know that, you know, I care about you. This is why it's a, uh, a concern to me, or this is why I want to bring it up, is because I care about you. I want to know that everything that you're going to be okay, that you're doing everything you can to be okay. Yeah. And how do I help and, and I, support that? I think it comes down to, I care about you, I care about me, and I care about our relationship. Yeah. You know, and I think if it's always approached from that perspective, I mean, always, yeah, right. You try, you know, <laughs> try, try to keep that the focus and go into, especially those difficult conversations, you know, with those things in mind that are going to kind of help you focus on communicating effectively, you know. But I think the other problem I see too is that it just pops up. You're not intending to have this conversation of, okay, I need to sit down and talk to this person. It, the day-to-day -day is what's harder for me. You know, in, in the moment when things come up and I do get triggered, how do I take a step back from that defensiveness and get into a better place? And that's one thing that well, we're working on too is when I have a trauma response. <laughs> well, that could be part of the we understand how we communicate with each other. Maybe I need to give you this idea, but hey, I want to talk to you about this and then give you time to think through it. Yeah. And not just spring it on you, which is so hard to do because if I can get five minutes of your attention, I have a list of 10 things I want to talk about exactly. and here it is and, and go. Yeah, and I think even more than that, it's like when, when communication breaks down because emotions are running too high, you know, because that's not the, hey, I'm going to spring this conversation on you. It's we're having a conversation and all of a sudden this thing popped up out of nowhere. I wasn't planning on taking the conversation that way. You weren't either. But here we are having this conversation and now one of us is triggered or both of us are triggered and now we can't communicate effectively because we can't actively listen and all that kind of stuff. So I think setting the right environment and putting a pin in things and really circling back to it. That's the important thing is we do uh, have to come back to it. That hurts my heart. I can't do that. <laughs> so when I was growing up, we had every Sunday called it family council. Yeah. And we'd all sit down and go through our week and, you know, have a meeting. But we always had to go around and say two nice compliments 
And then one thing we wish the other person could change. Not what change could change. And so it'd be like, I like this about you. I like this about you. It really upsets me when you do this. And so it was kind of reinforcing that boundary. And sometimes it was fun, and a lot of times it wasn't, because I don't have anything nice to say, but I have 10 things I can say that you should change. <laughs> but I think that played into the culture of my family of, we're going to hash this out now, and when it's over, it's over. Yeah. And so that's how I've been trained, that's how I want to do things, and it's hard when other people aren't that way. I know my sister and I, we have gotten into, I have never argued or fought with somebody more than her in my entire life. Like, bloody knockdown. And, of course, you know, being as close as we were, really just knowing each other's weak spots. Yeah, like a partnership. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know exactly Well, and it was a business partnership in the sense that, we, you know, we started our company together and we worked together, helped her raise her kids. Like, every aspect of our lives were really entwined at that point. Sure. And so we knew how we could really hurt each other, and I can't think of a single instance when after we talked about something, we brought it up again. Because we would sit there and hash every detail out until we both felt like, okay, we can move forward. And it was hard and it was mean sometimes. And, you know, sometimes it was very vicious. But it was never, well, two years ago you did this. So, you know, if it was yeah. resolved, it was resolved. And we just knew we're not going to bring it up again. And I think that's an important part of healthy fighting. Healthy arguing, you know, is you don't get to bring up the stuff from the past because we, we already resolved that. Mm-hmm. But it does take reaching an actual resolution. Right? Not just putting a band-aid on it. Well, and that would be the whole motivation or goal between arguing is because we want to have a resolution to this. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be, this is where I stand, you know where I stand, respect my boundary. Yeah. It's difficult. I think it just takes a lot of practice. You know, it takes a lot of working to find the skills to be an active listener, the skills to effectively communicate using I statements instead of you piss me off when you, right? Like, mm-hmm. I feel disrespected when you is very different. And I, I think that comes back to, if you're sharing with me, you know, I felt this way when you, I can't, I can't argue with that. Those are your feelings. Your feelings are valid. Now, I could argue with the facts of the action, but why would I when the important part is how it made you feel? Yeah. Right? And that's the point we're trying to work through in the relationship. So. <sighs> Communication is fun. <laughs> but I think it all really goes back to that first initial quote is, if I did something wrong, communicate. Because I can't read your mind. I don't know what happened during your day. I don't know what you're still holding on to. So communicate with that. If I have done something wrong, communicate but let's actually communicate. Yeah. I love it. Me too. <laughs> no, easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think some of the highlights that I took away from this is if you need to have a serious conversation, you need to approach it in the right headspace, in the right attitude. Another thing I struggle with is how do you get the other person to approach it in that same way? You don't. You don't, and that's the hard part, because you can't make somebody else okay, learn no, that situation. <laughs> getting part of that uh, Yeah, it would be nice, but you can't, all you can do is control what you're bringing to the conversation, what you're bringing to the relationship, you know, and, and what we say and do has an impact whether or not 
the other person is involved on the same level. You know, even if it's just as simple as me not responding to the triggers and not yelling, right? That's going to alter how the relationship goes and it changes the dance because you get used to the same kind of routine and how you respond to other people and how you communicate. And if one person changes the dance and switches from, you know, a tango to a waltz, you're either going to walk away and not participate anymore or you're going to learn the new dance, right? And so... That comes back to the idea of teaching people how to treat you. Yeah. It's just a hard one. You work hard on yourself for personal growth and you see personal growth <laughs> things change. And then realizing that other people aren't growing that same way with you necessarily. Yeah. And they could be doing their own thing as much <laughs> as they can because it ebbs and flows. You know, how much energy you can put into bettering yourself. Because I know there's times where I just can't. I can't do any more work right now. I need a break, you know? Yeah. I need more self-care. And there's some people who never will work on themselves, ever. And you got to decide how and if those people are in your life. You know? If, if it's Even if it's family. I saw something the other day on Facebook that said, what is all this about, you know, it's still your brother or your mom or your sister. No, toxicity is toxicity. And you're allowed to remove it from your life. And create those healthy boundaries, even if it is still family. Yeah, I've never liked that, just because we share the same blood. Yeah. But I do like the concept of, you know, you've known me my whole life, or we had so many great experiences growing up, but there is that solid bond there. Yeah. And that's my drive to fix things, is because we had that bond. Yeah, that's different than, you know, we just happen to share the same gene pool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a weird thought the other day, so I'm going to totally side note. Do it. Let's go. Do you think you could date yourself? Could I date myself? Yes. If I was still myself or if yes. I was a different person? No, if you were yourself. Like myself dating myself as a personality? Mm -hmm. No. No, no, no. Two bipolars together? I don't think so, honey. <laughs> I try. What's the four? <laughs> Quad? Quadpolar? Quadriplegic? <laughs> what are we talking about? A quipolar relationship. A quadpolar relationship. Yeah, I can't see that working. Would I like to hang out with myself and be my friend? Absolutely. But being in an intimate relationship with myself? Uh-uh. Nope. The triggers that would come up and stuff, there's no way. So that was part of this uh, meditation was identifying if you date yourself? No. <laughs> I was so okay. confused. You I'm, need I'm to answer the question, by thoughts. the way. Oh, I will. Um, part of the... I've been added to a group that is doing a 21-day meditation challenge. And that was kind of one of the points is... If you look at yourself in the viewpoint of, could I date myself? Here's why I could. Here's why I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of start to address your own maybe weaknesses or areas where you should focus more on. Yeah. And so I thought it was kind of an interesting... Because I, I think I could date myself. But I'm so codependent that it would be nice to have such another codependent <laughs> person. <laughs> you guys could just run around circles trying to please each other. Yeah. I could get twice the amount done. Like, this idea was like, yeah, how do I make this happen? Not really cloning yourself. It's different. <laughs> but you know what came up for me when you asked was the ways in which I'm difficult to be with as a partner. And I'm aware of them. Some of them. Some of them are still blind spots. Well, and, you know, depending on your other partner, what's their sure. triggers, what's their... What's going to come up. Because mm -hmm. every relationship is so different. 
but you do end up picking a partner who triggers childhood wounds so that you have a chance to reparent yourself in those moments and make different choices, right? Peel away those layers of dysfunction <laughs> and try and be and do better. But in thinking about the ways that I it just am a pain in the ass <laughs> as a partner, like, that's what came up for me when you asked that. And that's why I was like, nope. Oh, well, no, we can't have your intervention. Then I have to. No, not gonna happen this time. If you're already self-aware, what's the point? <laughs> it's more fun if you blindside him. <laughs> it's the best time of communication, right? I just learned about that. I'm just, I'm just picturing somebody on a football field, just like hanging out, no pads or anything, and along comes a guy and just tackles them. <laughs> when and I was on the sidelines. That's what it can feel like mentally, right? Yeah, and emotionally, mm -hmm. especially. I've heard that they've changed interventions to invitations. Invitations? Yeah, they're reframing the intervention as an invitation. An invitation to change, an invitation to grow. I think that's fair because, yeah, you can intervene, but it doesn't mean anything's going to change. But if you invite the person to be a part of the solution in dealing with the problem of the addiction or eating cotton balls or whatever it is, mm -hmm. there's actually a woman who does that. There's a lot of models that a lot do that as well because it's failing. Are you serious? Mm -hmm. There's a whole thing about it. I'll watch. I'll find that information. Sheesh. Yeah, oh, I don't need to take it down that road. <laughs> that's dark. <laughs> Maybe it's time to end it before I keep... But I like that down. term, invitation. invitation. We're going to invite you to get the help that you need. And it's a lot more welcoming, because it sounds like a party. <laughs> you are cordially <laughs> invited. <laughs> You're cordially invited to stop using drugs. <laughs> But no, I like that language around it because you, <laughs> the, the, you can lead a horse to water is thing is like, I don't know. It's true. It's a cliche for a reason. See, if you sent me that, that would make me laugh so hard. I'd be in the right frame of mind to like actually talk about it. So if you ever need to invitation me, I'm cordially invited. <laughs> Lord Kent Hexen, you are cordially invited. Uh, I still need my name changed. I Me too. Need to do it. I have the paperwork in my car for the time that I get off work early uh, and I can make it over there and get it officially changed to Lady Janet Barton. Lord Kent Excellent. It's going to be so fun. So great. Well, maybe we should make a date. We should go do it together sometime. You got to get Carl in on this. Two Carl Lords and a Lady. Two Lords and a Lady. Isn't that a movie? <laughs> if not, it should be. If not, we're gonna make it one. I think it is a movie. It's probably not the rating, but <laughs> two lords and a lady. <laughs> we really should have this. <laughs> Love you. Let us know how to be best communicate. Goodbye. <laughs>